Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Mazel Tov. So uh, the person I want to uh, introduce to you this morning, I suspect you may not have heard them, but you know of them. And uh, his name was Eddie Cantor. Now, if you know who Eddie Cantor is, you're of a certain age group, of which I think most people in this room are not of that age group. Uh, Eddie Cantor was born in the late 1800s. Um, that wasn't his actual name. It was Itcha Kentrowitz. Uh, he was orphaned at a very young age. He uh, kind of scraped a livelihood together by being a street performer in the Lower East Side of New York. He would go on to become a highly regarded vaudeville performer. He then made his way to Hollywood. Just remember, in the early 1900s, Hollywood was just starting. He would go on to have a, a remarkable career. He passed away in the early 1960s. Songs such as uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, you can thank Eddie Cantor for that. I know it's weird, all the great Christmas songs were made by Jews. It's a different sermon for a different time. Um, the, um, the near uh, continent-wide charitable effort on behalf of infantile polio called March of Dimes, that was started by Eddie Cantor. But perhaps Eddie Cantor, in and amongst all these great things that he accomplished in his life, I think this is probably what he is most well known for. Cantor was asked in the 40s, when he was at the very height of his popularity and power, late 40s, early 50s, he commanded enormous sons in performing and in movie contracts. He said, it took me 20 years to become an overnight success. Eddie Cantor. So often the question is asked, certainly in rabbinic circles, is why doesn't the Torah begin with this? What I'm pointing to, of course, is the Ten Commandments. Why does the Torah begin with the story of the book of Genesis? Why does the Torah even bother to include the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the story of Noah, but in particular this morning what we read was the story of Abraham. If the Torah is meant to be a book of law, because after all, that is what the word Torah means. It means law. Why are there stories in it? And it seems to me, in analyzing and thinking about it, that the reason why the Torah doesn't begin with laws, but begins with stories, is because stories have a particular power to them in communicating lessons, deeper ideas, that laws can't. And so in this morning, in our Torah portion, we read a story that is so deeply ingrained in our imagination. Jews, both far and wide, highly educated and maybe semi-educated, know the story really well. And it's a story of Abraham. Abraham, as you know, is not only considered to be the forefather of the Jewish religion, but of all the major great Western faiths, Abraham is considered to be a founder as well. Interestingly enough that in Islam, he's not referred to only as Abraham or Ibrahim. He has a nickname. He's called Khalil. Khalil is a nickname for Abraham. It means the one who is beloved, the one who is a great friend. And so the story of Abraham resounds not only in the annals and in the psychology of Judaism, but through all the great religions of the world. And so we read of the story of his genesis, of his very beginnings. And what do we know about him? 
The broad strokes of Abraham's story is known to us not only from the record of the Bible, but the fact of the matter is also from the science of archaeology. We know that in archaeological digs emanating from what now is modern-day Iraq, but back then was ancient Mesopotamia, we know that from digging up and finding archives of records, because people kept records back then, they wrote things not on paper, but on clay tablets or in stone. That there were people named Avram, even back in Mesopotamia. There were women named Sarai or Sarah, way back in Mesopotamia. So the broad strokes of Abraham's story, the names that we read, are in fiction. There's something real about them. But the story that we read this morning has a particular message to it that I think most people don't hear. And that by and large, in Western society, we fail to understand it. So I want to share it with you. But before I actually give you the details, I want you to understand something. Unlike the printed Bible that you had in front of you this morning, where I announced for you to turn to page 60, verse 12, in the Torah, I pointed this out last week as well, in the Torah there are no page numbers. In that scroll, there are no chapters and there are no verses. And so where something ends and where something begins became an arbitrary behavior that came many centuries later after the creation of the Torah. And so while this morning the Torah reading began with the words of God calling to Abraham, we are told, Lech lecha me'artzecha u'me'molaratecha that Abraham should leave his home, his birthplace, u'me'beitavicha, his father's home, to the land that I will show you. And that we long believe that this was the call for Abraham to pick up Mesopotamia and then head himself off to the land that we now know to be the land of Israel. There's only one problem. And that is in the verses before God tells Abraham to pick up and leave Mesopotamia, we read that Abraham left Mesopotamia to go to a place called Haran. And in the verses of Abraham picking up and leaving Mesopotamia, he goes with his wife. We are told that he takes his orphan nephew Lot with him. He heads out with his father and his family that they have already left Mesopotamia. They are already heading their way out of there. And then God comes to Abraham and says, pick up and leave your birthplace and go to the land that I will show you. But Abraham is already on the way. So how do you understand this? An answer. Remember that in rabbinic tradition, we never say the answer. A answer came to me this week. Came from a call from a congregant, but I'll get to that later. In Western society, we have a particular problem. Our problem is that we think that everything has to happen in a moment. So when we talk about, and I'm guilty of this too, by the way. <laughs> um, when I meet with couples who are about to be married, and they t I always ask them how they met. 
And then when they tell me how they met, I inevitably always ask them, was it love at first sight? In other words, the expectation is that if love is love in some level, it has to be an immediate spark or flame that bursts inside of somebody. We often hear about people having business successes, how they speak of themselves in the flash of a moment, how something happens, and they realize something which unlocks enormous riches for them. We also are enchanted with stories of people who are in prison, who undergo remarkable conversions of their life. People who in a moment's notice realize something and then their lives are forever changed. But I think that does a disservice to us. Because in the phone call that I had this week, it was from a 28-year-old man who feels left behind because what he perceives to be of all the other advances his peers have had. They seem to be getting promotions, being made partner. He's here, he feels, and they're there. And the sense that we need to have these remarkable kind of change of life moments, these immediate conversions, that life has to happen to us in the flash of an eye in order for it to be true. That if going to achieve something if something is going to happen to me, it's going to happen quickly, is a terrible mistake we make. Because life, my friends, is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. And it takes a long time to become the person that you're meant to be. It's not going to happen in a moment, although there are moments that will happen to you that will forever change your life. But your life will be the sum of many moments, and I can promise you, that over the course of the many moments of your life, there will be things that you will believe that you will stop believing, and then there will be other things that will come in their place that you will believe. And the one thing that ultimately you will believe amongst all the other things that you have come to believe is the understanding that life can profoundly surprise you, both in small and great ways. Abraham's story is a story of someone understanding that God didn't tell him to leave and then he left. Abraham had already left. Which is to say that God is the idea that doesn't take us from place to place. God is the idea that gives us strength to go from place to place. That the idea that religion isn't something that should change our lives, that religion is something that should strengthen our lives. It is the reason why I suspect that the word for Jewish law isn't law. What's the word for Jewish law? It's called halacha, which means to go, the path that we walk. It is realizing that in life that the things that we become are things that slowly revealed in front of us, not things that just explode on the scene in a moment's, in a moment's notice. And so at the very end that we read of Abraham's life, towards the end, God calls to him and says, v'telech lefanai, walk in front of me. It is the call that we each have of realizing that our life, as I said, is something that slowly unwinds. And we turn to religion, not to make radical changes, but to give us the confidence of how we can live our lives. Shabbat shalom. On Andrea Fieldman and Mia Fieldman for the readings of the prayer for Canada and the prayer for universal peace.